Most businesses these days are putting an inordinate amount of effort into producing content for their content marketing. Whether this is writing blogs, making podcasts, filming videos, loads of energy and effort is going into producing content. Now, if you're feeling guilty, don't worry right now. Loads of effort is going into producing content, but so often we hear from businesses that are saying, I'm putting all this effort in. Help me, ninjas. We're not getting the results from this that we really want. We're not getting the traction. Our audience aren't seeing it or nobody's seeing it, and it all feels a little bit pointless. Now, here's the thing with content marketing. There are so many routes that you can take, so many different types of content that you can publish, and then you've got to overlay against all of that the almost infinite different topics that you could be writing or videoing or talking about. How do you know exactly what to do? How do you know where to focus your time? So today, we're going to be sharing three questions that you need to be asking before you create any content and how to apply these questions to different high-performing content types. We're also going to be sharing a whole bunch of examples as we go through as well so this doesn't feel too conceptual. So let's do this. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm founder of Exposure Ninja. And this show, like the agency Exposure Ninja, is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales for your business online. Today, we're talking about content marketing and three questions that you can be asking to help make sure that the content you're putting out actually gets results, get the most return for the time, energy and money that you're putting in by making sure you've got these questions answered before you get started. We're also going to be talking about some of the top performing content types and using these questions for those content types and showing you some examples. It's a wild ride today, folks. <laughs> so stay buckled up. Let's start with the three questions that we need to be asking across any different content type. First question is, what do you want to achieve with this piece? Now, this sounds really basic. It sounds so obvious. In fact, all of these three questions sound pretty straightforward. The key is not in saying, oh, yeah, cool. I know what I want to achieve. I want to achieve more business. The key is in being more specific about that. And as we go through these examples, you're going to see exactly what we mean here. So the first question is, what do you want to achieve with this piece? Of course, the end goal is usually to be to generate leads, to generate sales, to get brand awareness, to increase our, uh, you know, our, our brand, our thought leadership, something like that. But usually we want some specific aim. And as we go through the examples, we'll be looking at what those might be. The second question that we're going to be asking is who is this going to be targeted to? So who is our target audience? And going a level deeper than that, what stage of the buyer journey are they at? Okay, really important that we answer both of those questions. Otherwise, we get some confused content that doesn't do particularly well. The third question is, why are these people coming into contact with the content that we're producing? So what do your customers want to achieve when they're reading, listening or watching? And why are they even in the market for that in the first place? So what's the pain or what's the problem that they've got that needs to be solved? So we need to be thinking about these three questions, the results that we want from our content, who we want to take action and the results that our audience wants, we need to be thinking about that across all of the different content types that we're talking about today. So let's talk about some of the types of content that are going to be generating most ROI based on what we're seeing with clients right now in 2023. Now we're going to start with blogs. Yes, 
blogs. Good old blogs can't go wrong with a great blog, still driving huge volumes of organic traffic for our clients and some very, very high authority leads as well can be very useful in email marketing follow up as well. Loads and loads of different uses for blogs. They are really your business's soapbox on the internet. Now, of course, using those three questions, we want to start by identifying the purpose of each blog that you write. So your purpose for a blog might be to educate a cold audience, it might be to answer questions that they have before they're ready to purchase, it might be to show your expertise on a particular topic, it might be to share important updates for your industry to position you as a thought leader. Okay, so we need to think about what this thing is for. We then need to think about who is it for? Is it for people who need your product or service but don't know it yet? Is it for people who are using search engine or AI chat to ask questions relating to your offering? And then finally, we need to think about what the audience wants from all of this. So let's talk about some different examples here. So I'm on an estate agent site. This is Ellis and Co. They're an estate agency, I think based in London. And they've got some great blogs on their site targeting search and they are targeting here cold traffic, answering top questions that those people might have with the hope of turning these people into customers for their estate agency service. So the first blog I'm looking at here is renting versus buying is now the right time to buy our first home. So who are they targeting here? They're targeting home purchases. What are they trying to do? They're trying to get on the radar of people who are going to be thinking about buying a house. They're providing some information that's going to be useful and relevant. They're building credibility in this space amongst first time buyers. Okay, really key segment there because once you've got them buying your first property with you, well, then when it comes time to sell, if you had a good experience, with them, then you might use them to sell your house and so on and so on and so on. And so you get that sort of brand loyalty. So this is a great entry point for a great target audience for a business like this. Another type of content that you might be going with is um, I'm, what, I'm looking at a post here, which is at the seven best crocs for nurses and healthcare workers. So this is an affiliate piece on a site called respiratorytherapyzone.com. I assume it's the uh, affiliate piece because all of these links are going out to Amazon and they uh, look like they've got um, um, affiliate referrer IDs in there as well. So this is a blog that will be generating revenue from the purchases made from people clicking on these recommendations. So what's the goal of this? And who's the target audience? Well, the target audience is clearly nurses and healthcare workers. The goal this business wants is to generate affiliate revenue. And the goal that the audience wants is to basically see a comparison of all of these different types, um, so that they can go and buy the right ones for them. So this piece is a fairly thoughtful summary of the benefits of each of these different models of Crocs. I didn't know there were different models of Crocs, but there we go. Talking about, you know, whether there are thicker soles for people who are standing up all day or slip resistant tread, that type of thing. So it's a thoughtful comparison of lots of different products. The benefit in the audience's mind is I get to see the comparison of these and choose the best ones for me. So they're more likely to purchase from this rather than if they're just going straight to Amazon and trying to figure out all this stuff for themselves. Okay, so we need to keep in mind why they're seeking out blogs like yours. In this case, they're seeking out blogs because they're confused. They want just a summary of all this thing. They don't want to spend all of the time hunting through loads of different things, trying to find the pros and cons of each one. They just want someone to summarize it. So when you're creating blog content and you've got your target audience in mind, think about what they're actually, why they're seeking out a blog in the first place. Why Google is showing an informational search result. Is it because people are looking for a how-to guide? Is it because people are looking for a comparison piece? Or are they looking for an answer to a specific question that they have. Remember, you need to be tailoring your content to what your audience wants from that blog. 
So if they're looking for a comparison piece and you're just saying, hey, this is the best one, you should buy this, that's unlikely to meet their needs. So even if you can rank that, even if you can get traffic on Google for that, you're unlikely to have people staying on that page because actually they want a bit more of a comparison like this Crocs example. Maybe people are looking for advice about your product. So there's a blog on the Estrid website. I think we've talked about Estrid before in the Exposure Ninja podcast. They're a sort of direct consumer razor brand. Pretty cool vibes. They sell a razor and then they sell the razor heads, the replacement heads. Um, so they've bit, got a bit of uh, continuity income in there as well. And um, they've got blogs about topics like how to get rid of razor bumps, burn, shaving or uh, burn or shaving rash on your legs. So there's two target audiences here. There's firstly the Estrid users. So if you if there's, you know, if you buy these products and you get an email from them saying, hey, if you notice that you got bumps on your leg after shaving, here's our blogger guide to, you know, stopping this from happening. So they've got Estrid users as one of their target audiences, but they have a secondary target audience, which is people who are new to Estrid, who might be searching for information about this topic. And they are a great audience to target because some of the answers are about, you know, you might not be using the right razor or you might need something with a, uh, you know, like a little moisturizing strip, which Estrid razors, I think some of them have. So it can be a great way to position this brand as the solution to the problem. So they've got two target audiences there. Now, what's the goal for Estrid? Their goal is to make sales. So they've got links through to the product pages and product category pages where people can buy. What's the outcome, the purpose for the consumer? Why are they looking for a blog? Why are they looking for a guide? Well, they might be looking to buy something to solve this problem. They might be looking for information and advice. Estrid has both of those options covered in this blog. So they're making sure that their content matches the intent of the user and is going to serve the user what, you know, what the reason that they're looking for a blog in the first place. And by the way, if you want to watch video versions of all of these, then you can go to the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel, just search Exposure Ninja YouTube and uh, you, you'll see the video version of this where I show you the blogs on the screen. Once you've got a solid blog, of course, you can then use that piece of content, that plan, that layout and structure as a springboard for other content types like videos. We've published a video at the end of last year, I think, uh, all about how to do this, basically repurposing, but using a hub model where you create one cornerstone piece and then you create lots of mini types of content around that because you've done the hard work of putting together the plan and writing the thing in the first place. It's exactly what we do at Exposure Ninja as well. So once you've written a solid blog like this, it's a great sort of springboard to help you create other types like videos. We're a big fan of businesses creating videos. Videos can seem really daunting, but they can be so worth the effort. According to Brightcove, 95% of B2B buyers say video plays an important role in deciding to move forward with a purchase. 95%. 85% of consumers worldwide find videos to be essential as they shop online. So even if you don't feel like you want to produce videos, your customers kind of want videos from you. So it's a great idea to get stuck in with videos. Now at Exposure Ninja, we get a large volume of leads from our videos. Actually, videos are one of our most productive lead sources, but we do this by offering our free website and marketing review. This is incredible. You can request it at ExposureNinja.com. If you qualify, you'll get a 15 minute video by a person showing you how to improve your digital marketing and giving you some actionable steps based on your exact marketing, what's going on in your website. They'll be on your website, they'll be having a look at your competitor sites and showing you exactly what you need to do over the next six to 12 months to generate more leads and sales. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your free website and marketing review. Um, but if you're worried that the videos that you're going to be producing will be rubbish or no one will watch them, you are probably absolutely right. They will be total rubbish, at least to start with. But the good news is that, hey, at least no one's going to be watching them, right? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.
Now, your first 10 or so videos, speaking from experience here, or for us, it was probably 50, will all be about learning what works for your business, building a production process and getting used to creating videos. You know, finding someone who's actually half decent on camera, working out how you go through the scripting. Do you script? Do you just work from bullet points or whatever? But if you, can, you, you can't get past this sort of early stage rubbish videos phase until you actually put in the work, you need to get to the really effective video stage, but you won't get there until you've gone through the rubbish videos stage, right? It doesn't matter how much preparation you do, your first videos are going to suck. So you may as well just get through those first ones nice and quickly so you can get to the good ones as quick as possible. Now, the place that you need to start with, of course, is the purpose of your videos. So why are we actually creating videos in the first place? Well, if your purpose, for example, is promoting a new product on social media, for example, I'm looking at an example from Kylie Cosmetics, where it's basically just, it's like a mascara thing that's open and it's got the little brush thing and there's just a light that sweeps across it. Really simple. It's just there to tease this new product. So that's a very different type of video to Kylie Cosmetics also has a bunch of tutorial videos. There's a 24k birthday collection makeup tutorial where her and someone I think is her makeup artist is basically taking you through how he does Kylie's makeup. So those are very different types of video, but they're very different for a reason because they're designed to cater to different purposes. The first one is just a quick social media video targeted at Kylie's existing audience who already know her, already know the brand, just to reveal a new product. The second type might be existing audience. It might be people who have purchased Kylie Cosmetics products before, or it might be people who are just looking for makeup tutorials. So this is SEO'd. It's on YouTube. Um, it's got a good number of views. 4.4 million in a year. Not jealous at all, Kylie. But she's doing a fantastic job. It's a great video. Nice good quality production. It's completely different to the social media video, but that's because it's there for a completely different reason. This isn't to tease a product. This is to get you buying all of the products that she's talking about in the tutorial. It's to get you buying the whole stack of equipment that's used to, um, you know, make her look the way she does when she's had her makeup done. So having a clear purpose on this video is going to help you decide the format, the length, and who should be featured in it as well, or if anybody is featured in it. For example, if you're looking to build a relationship with potential customers, you might want to have someone, you might want to have a figurehead from the business in that video, knowing that people are going to build a closer personal relationship with a person than they are if this was just a voiceover sort of demo tutorial. You know, if you want to teach people how to use a product, well, you might have someone who's really good at teaching people how to use the thing do a voiceover tutorial instead of a figurehead type video. So you need to think about the purpose and what you're looking to get out of it. Let's say that you're doing a case study, right? Let's say you're doing a case study in video form. You're probably going to want to have the client or the business interviewed or featured in that video. Not always, but you might do. You might also want to have the people who worked on that product or service with the client featured in that video. Next, we need to think about the audience and why they're coming into contact with the video in the first place. Let's say you've got loads of videos being uploaded to YouTube. You might have different target audiences for some of those videos, right? You might have the same target audience, but they might be at different stages of the buyer journey. So you're going to be tweaking the implementation of these videos according to where people are at. Let me give you some examples. I'm on the monday.com YouTube channel. They've got a whole bunch of different types of videos on here. Now, I'm not saying that Monday is a fantastic example because I think a lot of their market, we've looked at their marketing before and we weren't 100% convinced by everything that they're doing. But on YouTube, it's interesting to see how they've got different videos targeting different audiences. So the first one is an introduction to their monday.com 
course. This is showing you how to build workflows in their software. So this is clearly a tutorial for existing Monday users about how to use the app. And by the way, that's a, you know, a voiceover. It's just the picture of the screen and it's someone walking you through on the screen, right? They're not looking to build that much sort of relationship with people. This is mostly just how to use this thing. The next one is called, here's how top companies use monday.com to manage their work. Now they could have done something better with that. They could have said, you know, um, project management software that helps businesses triple their productivity, you know, something like that. This is a bit more optimized for search, but hey, anyway, they've got this and it's basically a case study video, 558k views in one month. So it's clearly, uh, you know, they've put some ad budget behind this and they're probably using it as a cold ad to new potential customers. And this is all about, hey, if you come and use this software, then, you know, you're going to get X benefit. So completely different target audience, completely different style. This is all people. This is friendly, smiling faces. This is making it feel very safe and very easy rather than getting stuck in with a more technical tutorial. So think about how that same channel, same format video, but very different target audience, very different implementation. You can add these videos, of course, to your blogs and your blog posts to make them more valuable to readers and to keep people on the page longer. Another way to add even more value to your blogs is by adding downloadable content. So things that people can download typically by putting them behind a lead capture form. So things like ebooks, white papers, templates, checklists, just to name a few. One of those wonderful types of content that has a double purpose. The first purpose, honestly, is just there to capture leads. If you've got an ebook or a white paper on your site, usually you're doing that to capture leads and to be able to tag those leads as interested in whatever the white paper or the ebook is all about. The second purpose, of course, though, is to make sure that the information that you're sharing with your audience is really valuable. So you start building up that relationship with them and you, you know, you're the, this is the first nudge. This is the first time they come across you. They see that you're valuable. They see that you're interesting and you can help them reach their goals. So a bit of sort of brand, a bit of relationship there. Now you can use the same research that you did for your blogs here to find out which topics you should be covering in your downloadable content. And this might just be as simple as adding downloadables to all of your blogs. Um, but some ways that you can do some research on downloadables, firstly, checking search results pages. So if I search on Google for productivity templates, for example, you see a whole bunch of different intent, right? Because productivity templates is one of those things where people aren't really making money directly out of productivity templates, but there's loads of businesses making money out of productivity templates. We've got companies like Trello, which is like a, you know, project management software offering productivity templates that you can use in their software. We've got Etsy who are selling productivity templates. We've got Atlassian who are taking a similar approach to Trello. We've got Pinterest where you've got productivity planner templates that you can print. So all of these different sites are using productivity templates as a content type to generate either leads or new business. So this is a great place to start doing some research. If you think that, for example, productivity templates could be good for you, there's some reason why your customers might be interested in them. And there's some sort of tangent why they might end up buying your product or service after downloading productivity templates. There's loads of stuff in here that can help you identify the angles that you might want to take. Now, once you've got the purpose of your downloadable, then obviously we want to think about who we're going to be targeting, who's the target audience and what stage of the buying process are they at. Because the stage of the buying process that they're at is going to define the type of downloadable that we're delivering to them. If they're right at the start of their buyer journey, then a checklist can be good. Okay, 
let's say you you're about to buy your first home well here's the home buyers preparation checklist and it tells you you know here are the things that you need to do before you're even ready to consider buying a home okay great for first timers because they've never done this before so this is a simple guide uh, or maybe if your audience is more sophisticated they're more educated about your thing then you can't just go with the basic checklist that's going to be too basic for them it's going to make you come across as a bit naughty instead you might want to go for something that's more complex like a white paper or a more detailed ebook this might also work really well for people who are aware of your brand or your industry and who need that extra sort of information and the credibility that comes from a thought leadership piece like this. Now, the buyer's journey also influences why someone is downloading content in the first place. So we want to think about the different problems that can be served with this downloadable content. So a template, for example, could be useful for some members of your audience. I'm looking at a social media content calendar template on HubSpot, for example. This is going to be a great sort of first step into using HubSpot for a new social media manager. Other members of your audience might want a more advanced uh, advice or resources. So for example, there's also an ebook on HubSpot about how to use an API. So this is going to be a much more advanced guide. This isn't a template. This is a sort of more advanced ebook. And of course, the goal of this is that if you're using an API, you might potentially be a customer of HubSpot. It's a very tangential thing. Go and have a listen to our HubSpot podcast if you want to know the pros and cons of taking this sort of uh, slightly odd at times approach to content marketing. But this is a more detailed piece. It's a more detailed topic. So it needs a different format. You can take this useful lead capture content to the next level by creating interactive content. So interactive content is things like calculators and quizzes. It doesn't mean that you need a whole new landing page. You don't need to necessarily recode half your website or anything like that. Sometimes it can be as simple as adding a quiz or calculator to existing pages on your site. Some brands have taken it a step further like, for example, Ikea, they have their, uh, or like five years ago, they released their AR app where you can see Ikea products in your house. This is the, this is in some ways the sort of ultimate interactive content, because not only is it a good way of lead capturing, i.e. getting someone downloading your app, so you've got their contact details so you can market to them. What this also allows them to do is to sell themselves on your products and potentially reduce returns as well, because if they can see the thing in context, then they have a better idea about whether it's going to be a good fit for their home or not. This type of interactive content can also be a great objection handler. So you can use the objections that people have to work out the type of interactive content or interaction that you want to have. For example, if customers are worried about the cost of investment with you, then maybe a calculator which helped them work out how long it would be until this thing is paying for itself might be a really good objection handler as well as a great lead capture thing for you and just a way of building credibility. Maybe customers struggle to know which product or service is right for them. If you've got a wide range of stuff and they don't know which one's right for them? Well, maybe a quiz can help them get to that result. Remember, they're not going to buy if they don't feel confident that they've chosen the right thing for them. So if you've got a huge range of products and customers are left hunting through tons and tons of these things that all look basically the same, there is a chance that they won't convert. It's my wife's birthday coming up. It's a big one. So I've got to get her something nice. She says, I want a bag. I'm like, all right, okay, I'll go on the bag website. Jeez, there's like 380 products in this category. Now it took me about a month to buy. And to be honest, 
realized many times during that process, I thought I'm not going to buy this because the chance of me getting the wrong one out of 380 products is so ludicrously high that there's almost not a conversion there. Now, if what they'd have done would be to have a quiz that helped you find the right product for you, and you could answer some questions like, what's this thing going to be used for? Uh, what are the likes and dislikes? And it basically helps you filter through. All it is is like a filter on a search, right? But it helps you filter through to say, okay, out of the 380, here are the three that most meet your needs. Well, great. There's a much higher chance of getting the conversion from me if I'm choosing between three than if I'm choosing between 380. In case you're wondering, in the end, I just said, hey, babes, which one of these do you like? And she chose it. That's always the safest way to do it. But in a way, that's the type of interactive content, right? I just had to use my wife as the interactive content piece. Okay, this is getting slightly strange. Let's keep moving. Like downloadables, the first purpose of interactive content is often lead capture. So what we're trying to do when we get them to fill out the quiz is we're actually trying to get them sort of invested in filling out a quiz so that we can ask for their name and email at the step before we give them the result. That way they've got the sunk cost of filling in all the details. We then ask for their email, they feel inclined to give it because they've just spent five minutes filling in a form and thinking about the answers. Therefore, we've got the lead. We also hopefully have then some context about what they're after because they've given us the you know they've given us the answers to their questions we know they're looking for a crossbody bag and they want a strap not a chain and blah 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 so we can tailor our follow-up content to make sure it's super relevant to them so the first purpose is lead capture the second purpose though of course is solving the problem for the audience now we need to know who our target audience is we need to think about why they're searching for this content as well all of those things are going to shape what we do so let's talk about the quizzes in a bit more detail there's a great example on the CeraVe site. This is Find My Skincare Solution. They basically take you through a whole bunch of different questions to identify the right skincare products for you based on your skin type, the problems that you have, all that type of stuff. Then at the end, perfect implementation. They say, fill in your name and email, all your details here. You can, if you want, just ignore that step and go straight through to the uh, to the you know product recommendations, but they hide that step, they hide that option enough that most people are going to be filling in their details at that stage. So they've then got their details, they've also got the products that they're recommending, and then they can tailor their follow-up if they choose to say, hey, you told us that you've got dry, flaky, oily, weird skin, and this thing is going to fix that for you. So there you go, right? They can make it much more customized. Going back to the calculator example, you know, the home buying calculator, the mortgage calculator is the standard interactive content for most mortgage firms. Find out how much you could borrow, find out how much your repayments are going to be. These are tools that are designed to firstly, capture leads. But secondly, they're also there to save the sales team a bit of legwork because they don't have to field 20,000 calls a day from people who are just in the research phase of getting a mortgage saying, hey, can I afford this? And them having to say no, they can just direct them all to the mortgage calculator. And they know that they're going to go through that and get the sim similar sort of experience. So remember the two goals, capture the lead, solve the problem. They're doing both of those. Now, even if these people don't make a purchase there and then remember, you've got their email address. So you can send out automated sequences later on to nudge them towards purchase. Another way to put their mind at ease is with case studies or stories. Now, case studies obviously are great proof of your work. They show your customers how you've helped a customer solve a problem or achieve a goal. If they're well written and backed by good keyword research, they can also help you target specific industries or niches in search results or niches if you're in the States. So you can get your case studies ranking. For example, if you're selling uh, software for dentists, right, what you might make a case study for is 
uh, like software for dentist case study or software for dentist example, you might call your case study something like that. And then when someone's searching for that, you know, you're going to get it ranked. And then they come onto the page and read about how this dentist has this fantastic experience with your software. And therefore, what are they going to choose? If there's a nice CTA there that's like get a free demo or download a guide to improving your dental practices, productivity and profitability, boom, you're going to get some leads from that sucker. So the calculators and the uh, case studies can be great there. Of course, then you're going to give them to your sales team. If you have a sales team, if you're, you know, B2B, or you've got a larger average order value, then you're going to have a sales team. And these case studies can be very powerful for helping them close leads there. Once you've got your case study, once you've put the effort into producing these case studies, you can then repurpose these in different types, such as making videos like we do at Exposure Ninja. We do this all the time. We go through the effort of, of typically we write up a case study. We then say, okay, the cool, there's like a couple of videos that we could make out of this. And then we can make those videos. We can then make social posts. We might film some short form video and stuff like that. And it's all come from this initial piece of work, which we've done, which is writing the video in the first place. Now, the purpose of each case study needs to be clear from the get-go. Remember our three questions. Purpose for you, who are we targeting, purpose for the audience. So the purpose of each case study needs to be clear from the get-go. Unless we have that, what ends up happening with case studies is you just want to tell the most complete story that you possibly can. And that ends up really confusing and messy for people to read. So what's much more compelling is if you identify the purpose, what you're looking to achieve with your case study, then it means that you just, you only need to include the bits that are relevant to, you know, pushing that narrative, right? And it means you don't need to include every single tiny detail. Now, sometimes this means that you cut out something which has been working really well for you. For example, we've done a whole bunch of case studies in these videos where maybe we're talking about a pay-per-click ad strategy that we've done for a client. Well, what we don't mention is the incredible SEO or content marketing that's happened. But if we did that, then we'd end up with a 50-minute video which no one's going to be interested in. So we have to condense it. We have to be selective about what we share. And then maybe we make another one with the content marketing or SEO campaign later on. We also need to think about who we're targeting and where they're going to be in their buyer journey. Remember, if they're right at the start of the buyer journey, we might not need to give as much detail. If they're right at the end of the buyer journey, we might need to give loads of detail in this case study, including the specific solutions that that customer purchased. A great example of this is salesforce.com. They've got an industries menu on their website that allows customers to find information about their specific industry. And each of these industries has their own pages. So for example, I'm on the insurance page. So I'm under financial services, they've got a financial services section, I'm on the insurance page. This page is all about why Salesforce is great for insurance firms. So the headline is protect your policyholders and grow your business with Salesforce's insurance solutions. Now what this allows them to do is present all of Salesforce as being very specifically targeted to insurance companies, it allows them to tap into the particular pains that insurance companies have and present their product as a solution to this. So you end up reading this thinking, wow, Salesforce really is the perfect solution for insurance companies. Well, what they're selling is entirely generic, right? Same platform for everyone. But what they've done is they've sort of translated it specifically for this audience, which makes it much more resonant. So really good example. And then of course, they've got case studies inside insurance as well. So you can read these stories and convince yourself that yes, this is absolutely the right thing for me to do. Now, the reason that most people read case studies is 
is that they're close to purchasing. They want reassurance that your business product or service is the right one for them. So you need to keep this in mind when you're creating your CTAs. People are much more likely to be going straight to sales or sales team or to make a purchase if they're reading a case study than maybe going for something more top of funnel like a checklist or a guide. That's going to be much better suited to cold traffic, whereas case studies tend to be warmer traffic. Not always, but they tend to be warmer traffic. So for example, the CTA on the Salesforce case studies is try for free. They want people to try the software for free, having established that yes, this works in my industry. And yes, this works with other businesses that I'm looking up to in my industry. So next step for me is to try this for free. Okay, now, Let's talk about guest posting. Um, and then we're going to talk about some email marketing. Guest posting can be really important for things like link building for building authority and credibility, but also for getting you in front of a really qualified target audience. There's a brand component to guest posting, which is difficult to underestimate when it goes really well. The trouble is getting that guest post in front of the right people can be a real challenge. And by the way, if you don't know what guest posting is, it's basically getting your content featured on other people's websites if they have a relevant audience. So think like your industry publications, you're writing for those publications, for example. What most people do what a lot of people do when they start this is they write some sort of boring average uh, press release and then they just bosh it out to a whole bunch of publications in the hope that they either publish the press release as is or write it up with minimal effort. The chances of this actually happening are fairly low and the chances of this actually being any good even if they do do this are also fairly low. So really if you've put yourself in front of you put yourself in the position of the editor journalist or writer who's going to be writing for this target publication they want to know why you think your information is a good fit for their audience and their website. So remember our three questions, purpose, who and then purpose for the audience. This is why having a purpose for your guest post is so important. If your purpose is just to get a link, you're not going to get very far. If your purpose is to get your business and your expertise in front of your target audience, you're going to have a lot more success with this. If you want to share the best information that you've learned about your industry with your target audience, you're going to have a lot more success with guest posting than if you're just trying to smash out, you know, 50 DA5 links this month, which isn't a particularly great goal, by the way. The purpose of your guest post can also go further than this. Maybe you want to share data that you found in a study which you conducted, or maybe you want to explain how a new groundbreaking product that you created is going to totally rock your industry. That sort of thing can be great for thought leadership as well. So that's the purpose for you. Next, we need to think about who is going to be reading this, who's the audience and where are they at in their buyer journey. Yes, you can get your business featured in huge publications. And sometimes that's really good for your backlink profile. You may also want to consider getting featured in more niche publications, which might have low authority, because this is getting in front of your target audience and getting in front of decision makers in your space. We also need to think about the stage that that audience is at as they're reading some of these publications as well. So sometimes two publications in the same industry will have a slightly different different angle. Uh, in fact, let me give you an example. Let's say that you are a software company and you're selling productivity software. You've just created a brand new technology that's going to be improving your user productivity by 30%. Okay, so you could have a whole range of different guest post outreach strategies for a business like this. Let's say that you wanted to sell it to businesses, you might be targeting a publication like HR magazine, this is going to be read by HR professionals, and they will be looking to increase employee productivity. So you could focus on that if you want to get on that their radar. Whereas if you want to get coverage for students, you might be going after a website like study hacks. And this is going to be focusing more on personal productivity. This is going to be all about students and you know how students can improve their productivity to make it more tailored. So it's going to be a completely different approach, even though the outcome is the same, you want more signups, you should also be mindful when you send out your pitch, 
that you're tailoring this to the publications you're reaching out to. So make sure that you're thinking about the tone of voice of the website that you want to get published on. You're thinking about the sort of topics that they publish on and you're thinking about their audience as well so that you can really tailor your outreach specifically to that. Think about the HR magazine and study hacks, for example. If I'm trying to get coverage on both of those and I just say, hey, editor, we've got this employee, we've got this productivity software which can increase people's productivity by 30 and we'd love to write on your website about it. How relevant is that? Are either of those groups going to say, oh yeah, come, please come and join our site? Whereas if what we instead say to the editor of HR magazine is, hey, we've got this software that can be used to increase employee productivity by 30%. HR professionals are loving this. We've done some incredible work with a few companies whose HR teams have found amazing ways to increase their employees' productivity. And what we've done is we've compiled these into a guide that any HR employee, any HR team member can use to help those around them improve their productivity. We love to share this with you. Do you think it'd be a good fit for your audience? Now, bear in mind, this publication's job is to keep churning out information, and useful articles to their audience. Are they going to say yes or no to this? They're much more likely to say yes than to the generic approach, right? Okay. Finally, let's talk about the unsung hero of content marketing that is email marketing. For the last, I don't know, whatever decade that I've been running Exposure Ninja, people have been talking about the death of email marketing. This is the year email marketing's dead. You know, it used to be our oh, Facebook messengers here. Now no one's going to use email anymore. And then, it, you know, all sorts of rubbish. And as a promotions tab is the death of email marketing. Hey, guess what? 60% of marketers in our recent survey said that email marketing was their most important channel. 60 percent. And no, the sample size wasn't five. We've got to say it, email marketing is super, super important. But how do we approach this? Say it with me, identify the purpose of your emails. The first thing we need to do is identify why we're sending out the emails, what we want to achieve from this. This applies to individual emails. It also applies to entire email sequences. For example, maybe you have a sequence which is designed to promote a sale that you're running. Maybe you've got a sequence which is designed to warm someone up to your business if they've come in cold. Or maybe you want to keep customers loyal after their initial purchase. Okay, you need to have that purpose, that goal clearly defined. Not every email, of course, is going to be there to specifically specifically sell something there and then that's totally okay. You might send emails to promote your new blogs and videos. If you're part of the Exposure Ninja mailing list, for example, you'll know that we promote our new videos every week. We just find that people really like them. People, uh, you know, they, they get value from them. They find it useful to get their stuff. And then it means that when we do have something to promote, it's like we haven't just been relentlessly pitching the whole time. We've been sending them useful stuff as well. Now, of course, you can't send emails to people if you don't have their email addresses. So obviously, you need to be adding email capture CTAs in your blogs for your downloadables, your interactive content in order to build your list in the first place. This is also going to be determining who's going to be coming into your contact, who's coming into contact with your emails and why they signed up in the first place. So if we go back to the, um, you know, the different downloadable content types, if someone has just downloaded a certain guide or they've engaged with interactive content, they filled in your calculator, you can send them your email sequences based on those actions. Okay, make it very specific to the actions that they've taken. The more specific you can make it, the higher your engagement, the higher your open rate, the higher your click-through rate is going to be. If you're just sending the same emails to everyone, it's better than nothing, but you're going to get much lower engagement rate, much lower click-through rate, much higher unsubscribes. So people are going to be much more likely to engage with those emails on your mailing list because they're getting stuff that's super relevant to them and their interests. So there you have it. Three questions to ask. What's the purpose for you? Who are we designing this content for in the first place? And where are they in the bio? 
entire journey? And then what's the purpose for that person? Why are they even looking at this thing in the first place? That's the user intent, if you like. We need to make sure we have each of those three things sorted before we produce the content, then it's going to get much better traction. Hope you found this podcast useful. If you have, don't forget to leave us a review. Request your free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja as well. Just go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and I will see you through your ears next week.